Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And uh, I was thinking, do we, like, is it too much to lead in with a star date? Or... Oh, no, never. <laughs> All right, well, podcast hosts log. Star date, whatever the hell. I don't know if it really matters anyway, and we can't keep track of time because of the pandemic. But Star Trek Lower Decks has been out for long enough that they've got five episodes up available for you to watch. And uh, besides being the magic number for us, that is also a you know a good good piece of meat, like a good chunk of it to be able to take a look at the show. I think it's it's half this first season. No kidding, I'm I'm a little disappointed to hear that. I was hoping there'd be more episodes. Hey, no spoilers. That's fair. <laughs> it, in any case. What that means is it's time for us top geeks here to perform one of the most traditional geek rituals. When there's something that you passionately love so much as Star Trek and they release a new show, it is incumbent upon us as fans to judge the hell out of it. This this is Geek Top 5's deep dive on Star Trek Lower Decks impressions and, well, let's go with reviews and impressions of the first five episodes. Yeah, so so I guess we should start with the premise. This is a series created by Mike McMahon. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he he is probably best known outside of this as a writer of TV shows, but also as the writer of a very funny Twitter account that was called Star Trek Season or Star Trek: The Next Generation Season Eight, and he managed to spin that off into a book called Warped, and it just sort of elaborates on all these episodes for a fake Season Eight of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Both the Twitter account and the book were very funny. Uh, and very much the, the segue into his making this entire show. Um, in terms of describing who he is, I mean, as much as you may have seen him on Twitter, he's also been pretty heavily involved in shows like Rick and Morty, which uh, may be a little more in the spotlight. Yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, to Star Trek Files Like Us, like that book is hilarious. I just like I've been I, I I've got a, a digital version of it and I've been taking screenshots of passages here and there to send to well to Graham and also to other <laughs> friends. It just it is a riot. Um we are not getting paid to advertise this book, but uh you know, We're not getting interested. paid for it. It is only a dollar right now, so it's basically, you know, you might as well just get it for free since it's a dollar. Just go go get it. That's like nothing. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, that's where this guy sort of got his his Star Trek chops busted in. And between that and working on shows like Rick and Morty, somebody gave him permission to make an animated Star Trek comedy television show. Which is something that I can't imagine would have ever... Like, how do you pitch that? Well, in this day and age, it seems like they are desperate for Star Trek content. They just want to crank out as much as possible, for, for better or worse. You know, we've had our, our beefs with Discovery and uh, Picard, but it, it it is it is like more Star Trek than you can reasonably handle, and there's just more and more on the way. And I think it's driving a lot of the subscriptions to CBS All Access, so I think their goal is to have constant new Star Trek content coming. I think they said that between um, Lower Decks and Discovery Season 3, there's going to be 23 straight weeks of new Star Trek content. And that seems ideal if you want to have a, a subscription-based streaming service and, and you've got a huge Trekkie fan base. 
they're gonna that that means you've got them hooked for another 23 weeks and listen we're not going to complain about there being more star trek content but when you i mean let's zoom right in here lower decks isn't your average star trek show you know discovery it's you know, it's it's taking the next gen formula and giving it a heavy dose of Battlestar Galactica and Star Trek Picard is basically that with Patrick Stewart in it. Like they're they're kind of formulaic. This is kind of something new, and uh, obviously we're going to spend the next hour or so getting into it. But I will you know, spoiler alert summarizing. I'm having a really good time with it, and if you haven't checked it out yet, it's got my recommendation. Um, I think I like it better than Graham. Uh, but we may, uh, but I guess we're going to have to get into that. Yeah, I, I refuse to spoil it. I don't care what you're going to, what you say now. You, people aren't going to hear my final thoughts until the end of the show. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Stay tuned for the Graham note. <laughs> so what we are looking at is, so it's animated, it's a comedy, and the premise of the show is that it features, like, the lowering rank guy. Like, you know, when we're watching Star Trek The Next Generation, you're watching, like, the people, like, the people in charge of the best ship, of the best crew, of the flagship of the Federation. This is the exact opposite of that. This is sort of a workhorse, you know, middle of the road, nothing interesting kind of ship. And instead of focusing in on the captain and the commander, and we're spending a lot of time with the, the I don't want to say dregs, um, but with the, the, you know, the the lower the, decks, the lower decks with the ensigns, with the kids, with the folks who, you know, haven't really uh, the, the folks who still have a lot of growing to do. Let's go on, with that. On the other shows, your focus is the senior staff. This is more like the junior staff. Yeah. like Im- Imagine like a medical procedure show where instead of following around all the sexy surgeons, you were following around like the receptionist. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the bedpan cleaner. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I wanted to see. I was going to say janitor, but then I thought of Scrubs, and the janitor on that is not only a big character, but he's a riot. So yeah. I, I don't want to sound like I'm doing him a disservice, but that's another podcast. Or, or janitors in general. Come on, they do some good work out there. I listen. They work real hard, and they are underappreciated for the shit they have to put up with. Literally, <laughs> literally, especially in a hospital. Again, podcast for another time. <laughs> so our main character is Beckett Mariner. I, I would call her the main character, right? It, she definitely shares the spotlight with Brad Boymore. Um, I would say that like the two of them have a protagonist deuteragonist. We're definitely we're introduced to Boimler first, but the show definitely like Mariner is the one who seems to be driving the show. Right. So she's she's a, a slacker who also seems to be very capable of of any activity put in front of her and and knows everyone has all these connections. So it's it's sort of it's not what you would expect from a Star Trek protagonist who are all highly capable and highly productive and like on task and getting stuff done. And Boimler is the other main character, also an ensign, and he's he's got all the the like gung-ho need to be he, he's got all the rules memorized he's he knows how to do his job very well and a lot of the jobs on the ship but he's also woefully naive and and he's he's striving for high better positions and that's not something we usually see in star trek most of the our star trek characters are content at their level and if they get promoted that's great but like no one was really ever like striving to reach higher ranks yeah those characters were all like you know they were all who they wanted to be 
in this case, we have two characters who have a lot of development to go, and this is the star like this is the Starfleet equivalent of you know, Mariner has street smarts and Boimler has book smarts. And both of them are like their character flaw is that they're lacking the other one. And so of course the two of them bounce off each other hilariously, and that's sort of the main focus of what drives a lot of the plot in the show. Yeah, and there's also two other certain supporting characters who are who are in every episode and are, are important to the plots. There's uh, Devon Tendi, who's an ensign in engineering. I believe she's an Orion, and she's Tendi's sciences, medical but, specifically. Yeah, what did I say? You said engineering. You're thinking Sorry. of Rutherford. Uh, I meant I meant medical. In my head, it was medical. Uh, <laughs> So she's, yeah, she's working, but she's just always very excited and, and uh, happy to be with everyone, and, and she's a bundle of, of positive energy. And then you've got uh, Cordero, who's sort of the Geordi of the crew, and that he's got a weird eye thing. He works in engineering, and also just, like, very keen on his job and loves his work. To be clear, Eugene Cordero, the voice actor for the character Sam Rutherford. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But then on top of that, and this felt, it felt to me in the first couple of episodes like it was almost too much. There's also, you you have the senior staff are all main, not main characters, but they're supporting characters. And they feature on some level in every episode. And it felt like a lot of cast for a 22-minute cartoon, at least at first. And, and I know... You know, first entire first seasons are where people find their footing. So I, I feel like it's getting better as it goes along. But at first, it felt like an overwhelming number of characters. Interesting. I mean, I suppose it isn't that many more than what you'd have on any other Star Trek show. You're looking at, so the four ensigns and, what, five senior staff? Maybe yeah. not even. Captain, first officer, security, and doctor. We haven't and seen then- much of the chief engineer yet. He's been, He's been there. He's, he's credited as, like, a recurring character, whereas the rest yeah. of them are in the opening credits. So nine characters. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, but I don't know. we'll get into it as, as we go. Um, that's, our, that's our setup. Um, how are we, how, so how do we want to do this? We've got five episodes. I don't think we're going to rank them. I think we're just going to progress from one to five and talk about each. So, by the way, remember the tagline for this show used to be spoiler alert. We're going to be spoiling these five episodes. Now, it's not... It's a comedy. It's not a drama. There aren't going to be any huge, shocking character revelations. Uh, But that being said, if you want to experience the show, you know, like, the way it's meant to be, like, there will be some fun reveals we're going to spoil here. So just heads up. Indeed. So so let's jump into the pilot episode, uh, season one, episode one. This is where we got our first taste of it uh, with the episode Second Contact. Where we uh, so we get introduced to the ship, we get introduced to the idea that this is not a first contact situation. This is Starfleet sort of support, and they do less interesting stuff than the major crew, as is typical for pilot episodes. Uh, Tendi, it's her first day on the ship, and she's getting shown around. So she's the audience surrogate. We're learning about the ship and the other characters through her perspective. As she's introduced to everyone, we're introduced to everyone. And the audience perspective in more than one, because the way they cast her character, like, she is so excited to be there and just thrilled by every little thing. I mean, that is very much a vehicle before the audience. Like, the audience they're targeting is people like us, right? Or the people who have spent 20 years, like, just wishing that they could be on a starship. Like, the kind of people who would walk by the shuttle bay and go, Oh, it's the shuttle bay! <laughs> 
Yeah, it's also nice to have... Uh, I feel like the modern era of Star Trek is a little more cynical than we're used to, and it's nice to have a character like her who is completely devoid of cynicism to be the eyes of the audience, at least in this first episode. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, even the, the cynical characters in this episode are, in a way, still delighted to be there. I mean, pretty like she immediately encounters Boimler and Mariner, who have the two... You know, they bounce it off. Like Boimler is is the like he's trying to be by the book. He's trying to give her the tour, and this is the impressive ship, and this will be like he's doing what it would be if it was a normal Star Trek episode. Whereas Mariner in the cold open for this episode, like we find her drunk, essentially, and del- you know, and drunk and delighted and fooling around with a bat left. So when when Tendi shows up, she is giving her a less than positive uh, look at the ship, but it's done in a way that. I really liked, and this is something that's gonna we're gonna be talking about a lot over these five episodes, where the show has a really delicate line between like making fun of Star Trek and making fun with Star Trek. You know, it like it could have fallen into the Big Bang Theory trap of just pointing and laughing. Uh, but I think Mariner, in this episode especially, but and also because, since she's focused on so heavily in the next, her character in general is a great way of saying, yeah, some of the stuff in Star Trek doesn't necessarily follow, but it's still played, how do I phrase it? Like, like, it's still played as it's a good thing. She doesn't take it seriously and can laugh at it, but there's still love for that world there. And I think that with Tendi's bright-eyed, you know, wow, look at that, bouncing off Mariner there. That really lays the groundwork. It gives you the idea of what this show is going to be. And I thought that was handled really well in this first episode. Yeah, um, uh, we'll we'll get to it more as we go on over these first couple of episodes, but I... I sh- Mariner really rubbed me the wrong way in these first couple of episodes, mostly because she didn't care about... <laughs> seemed to not care about anything, and was dismissive of other characters or specifically of Boimler and also just seemed to be able to do everything with ease and nonchalance and and there was no there was no problems for her there were no setbacks for her everything went her way and she didn't care and and I it was I don't know I found her really annoying in these first couple of episodes um so that that hurt their appeal for me specifically yes. yeah go on I just see I and I saw that as part of the setup like, you definitely see where initially she's very dismissive of Starfleet and such, but the end of this episode when she's drunk in the bar and sort of you know, remakes her friendship with Boimler, all of a sudden she's jazzed about Star Trek stuff, almost to the point of parody. You know, she's hammered and she's uh, and she's she makes a lot of Star Trek references very quickly. She tells Boimler he's going to be her Chadich. Yeah, just reference to the. Well, yeah, if we spend time explaining every <laughs> reference, we're going to be here for a long time. She does that, and then like, have you heard of Spock? And have you heard of, and have heard of Worf? And have you heard of Gary Mitchell? And it was a lot like. And I, I think that they did a good job of revealing that, like, yeah, her character is flawed for sure, uh, but like, but it's not like what she is on the surface doesn't reflect who she is underneath. Underneath, she actually is as into Star Trek as the rest of us are, is that she has this this, this issue, this chip on her shoulder. Well, the, my problem was in these first couple of episodes, she's, she's flawed, but they never are a setback for her. There's never a beat in these first two episodes where anything really goes wrong for her. I mean, other than when she slices Boimler's leg with the bat left in the cold open. But even that, 
is like never referenced again. It's just yeah, like it's a cold every, open. It's a gag. Yeah, uh, but, but yeah, everything. But I, but I accept that as the setup. I mean, it's for the first forty minutes of this show, right? Like in in any other like in any other Star Trek show, it would all have happened in one episode. I am perfectly okay with that being the establishing, like the the premise. Like I mean, really, like if like I was kind of irritated by Boimler in the first episode. Like I. I, I yeah. got over it, but the fact that he's such a weenus, you know, like it, <laughs> yeah, it yeah, so, he's really it was frustrating. He's annoying too. Well, let's let's keep going with this episode. Um, they they go down to the planet, and um, the captain of the ship wants Boimler to keep an eye on uh, on Mariner to make sure she doesn't screw up because she's looking for any reason to get her off the ship, and he's spying on her. So right away. We're, we're not given much reason to like either of our two main characters. Um, and there's a classic comedy misunderstanding of what's going on. And then a classic comedy giant spider sucks on Boimler while he's naked. It's just like all these classic tropes. And at the end, they come to some sort of understanding. They find a common ground with each other. Uh, but it was... Hmm... I just don't know. I, that first episode didn't really click with me in a way th- that I wanted it to, but I was trying to give it slack because it was the first episode. It was a pilot. Yeah. Uh, there a- wasn't a lot that I really laughed out loud at. There wasn't a lot that I, I really, that really want, made me want to come back for more, but there wasn't also anything extremely off putting. So I, I knew I was going to keep coming back, but after that first episode, I, it felt a little rough. Uh, yeah, and see, I hmm, I agree with you in that it was all it was it was a, it's a plot I've seen before, but what made this stand out over any other show, any other plot where there's a misunderstanding between two characters who have two different ways of looking at the world, uh, and this is going to be like we might fight on this, like it could be interpreted as really cheap, but I what filled it up and made it special for me was just all the Star Trek references. Um, I, I the actual situation of what was happening, eh, it was fine. But the way they wove it into the world, like a B plot in this episode, is that Rutherford is on a date, and his date is sort of happening in the middle of of a Star Trek episode. There's a rage virus on the ship, and everything's going crazy, and the date is still progressing through it. And at the end of the episode, when Tendi's asking him, like, whoa, did the, did the rage virus disrupt your date? He tells her, like, no, no, that kind of stuff happens here all the time. <laughs> and that attitude, yeah, like, once a week, some insane sci-fi shit happens. And it's very dramatic to the senior staff. But to the ensigns, it's just like, oh, yeah, no, alien virus turning people into zombies, right? Yeah, no, this is a, you know, it is, it's a Tuesday. Right. That attitude, God, I just, I... That attitude is directed to fans of Star Trek who automatically know, like who who know all the terminal, who know when you raise the shields, who know why you do a baryon sweep. Like the fact that they loop all that in is great, and Mariner has some of that too when she's trying to explain to Boimler why they're doing things off the book, and she like one like she makes the reference to how experienced she is. One of the references she makes is that was one time she was in a Klingon prison and she had to fight a Yeti for her own shoes for no. No reason like which is a fun reference to undiscovered country but it's also saying like yeah this universe is all this crazy stuff happens into it and this visual gags too you know like there's nomad is secretly hidden in this episode see if you can spot him um but the, but the fact that they made it 
so invested in that world and the attitude of like, oh, yeah, no, this is another one of these crazy Star Trek things. That's what set it aside for me. That's what makes it different from just any other, like, yeah, they, they misunderstanding, but then they work it out in time for the end of the episode plot. Um, and I think that carries through the later episodes, and I really enjoyed it. I was happy to see it in that first episode. So I, I do think I, I, the references are all, for the most part, really enjoyable for me, too. It, it, it speaks to me that this isn't people who are making fun of Star Trek. Clearly, with all those references in there, they are fans. It, it's undeniable that the people making this show love classic Star Trek and, and are really happy to be making a show in that world that gently pokes fun at the tropes and and the history of the characters so i do like that and i do i think that continues to even a greater extent in later episodes but yeah the first episode was a good starting point but i really think it finds its groove later on let's move on to to episode two sure sure episode two envoys um, one that I thought was a little bit weaker than episode one, so curious to see how we match, we match on this. Um, Boimler and Mariner escort are on a mission to escort a drunken Klingon and end up stranded. Not even stranded necessarily, but they're, they're left on, an a, on a planet inhabited by aliens where this is like Boimler's first chance to take his book learning and try to apply it to the real world. And of course it goes disastrous and Mariner has to sort of pull his feet out of the fire. Um, which this is where I sort of started to feel what you were saying about Mariner. It's like, okay, two episodes in a row, it's her being badass and being able to solve all problems. Like the fact, yeah. like, like, like it's like he's supposed to be super intimidated by this Klingon general, but it turns out her and the Klingon are old friends and they get drunk and sing Klingon songs together. And, and, it's like, and she's like always drinking Klingons under the table. It's like not enough that she's buddies with this Klingon. It's like, she can out-drink a Klingon, and and stuff like that was starting to grate on me. Mm -hmm. Again, second episode, right? Show's only been on for a little over half hour at this point, so I'm okay with it, but yeah, I started to feel it too here. So on the whole, yeah, this one I thought was a little bit weak. Uh, What this one did, though, like, what what this contributes overall is the B-plot in this that I thought, frankly, deserved more attention is Rutherford, in an, in an effort to spend more time with Tendi, like he, he spends most of his time cleaning up Jeffrey's tubes, and it's something I guess we should mention about Rutherford's character. Like, he does all the dirty engineering jobs, but he loves it. Like, right. the way t- like he's constantly super optimistic about it. Um, but to spend more time with her, he decides to transfer out of engineering and try all the different sections of the ship, which is a really clever vehicle for sort of explaining all the different roles in the ship, you know, the he, sciences and security and command. And at the same time, he spends a little bit of time with each of the senior officers. Yeah, I, again, you're, you're right. This B-plot was really good. And it sort of reinforced to me that I, I kind of like the these B characters a little bit better than our A characters, at least at this point in the show. I, I was much more interested in spending time with Tendi and with Rutherford because they were just nicer and 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 I don't know, they were that sounds kinda lame. <laughs> but <laughs> I yeah, liked them because they were like nicer. The, but... the comedy between Boimler and Mariner is still very like it's antagonistic. Yeah. Right? It's watching people who don't get along and who like aren't enjoying what they're doing. 
Yeah, and and like it doesn't feel like a friendship. It feels like a constant competition, and they're constantly sneering and eye rolling at each other. And there are shows and times where I think that works great, but I don't really want that in my Star Trek, at least not in my main characters. And so the Tendi and Rutherford stuff was more fun and and just more pleasant, and it, it felt more Star Trek. I, just, I loved when Rutherford first asks to transfer out of engineering. You get this shot where the, the chief engineer looks like real angry and disappointed. And of course, it's like he flips. He's like, oh, of course, we want you to do whatever makes you happy. This is great. And I thought that was a great joke. And they, they echo it later in the episode. And it's just that felt good to me. Like, I just I enjoyed that moment. But you're right. But the, the B plot of this episode was better than the A plot by far. Yeah, I think like the the thing with Rutherford and Tendy is again like Rutherford and Tendy are the Star Trek fans. They love it and they love wanting to be there. And they're because they're kind of outside of it. It gives it a perspective similar to us. Whereas Mariner and Boimler are more integrated, I guess. Like yeah. I mean, even though the point of the show is that they're not part of the main story, like it's. You know, it's like the conundrum. They're still the protagonists. Being inside it, they're sort of affected by it. Rutherford and Tendi are just jazzed to be living in this cool universe, and that's that's hard not to love. Yeah. So, so the again, like what you said, the the a plot here, it feels like it covers a lot of the same character beats that the first episode did. Yeah. Where yeah. That's yeah. That's a good way to put it. It just it, so like you said, like. Boimler is is trying to do everything by the book and he keeps failing and Mariner drags him along and fixes everything and and saves the day and it just felt like the same plot as the first episode and it again I because I had I already had problems with that dynamic in the first episode doubling down on it for this episode made it that much worse and like at the end there's a, a moment where where they're seem to be getting tricked by this Ferengi and Mariner is falling for it and Boimler is like incredulous about it like how can you fall for this this guy looks so shifty and and transparent and he saves the day and then at the end of the episode you find out that she set that up just so Boimler could have a moment to feel good and I almost would have liked it better if they had cut that part where it he actually does save it so there there is a point where where Mariner is fallible but even in her screw up she was screwing up on purpose to help Boimler and I it just made me roll my eyes yeah it feels like infantilizing or like 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 putting her in a position where she needs to fake a scenario to make him feel better like it just seems seems yeah gross I don't think I have exactly the right word for it but it just it was kind it was almost insulting yeah yeah that's because of that, like, this one is kind of tied with the... No, I think, honestly, I think of the five, this is my least favorite. Mostly because of how but, that was handled. like you said, the, the B-plot was really good. I sort of forgot that that B-plot was, was part of this episode, because I did really enjoy that. All the moments of Rutherford in the different areas were really good. I mean, especially the command one, where he he is with Jerry O'Connell's commander, uh, Ransom. Is that his name? Jack Ransom. Jack Ransom. Uh, who's yeah. like Riker on steroids. Um, but he he's doing these training sessions, and it was just really funny, and, and it was a great bit, and uh, that, to me, put this episode over episode one, as far as quality goes. The other thing I want to say about it is that I really didn't like the characterization of the Ferengi at the end. This is the stupidest reason to have a problem with the show, but I just feel like after all that Deep Space Nine did to 
rehabilitate the image of the Ferengis and make them not two-dimensional, obnoxious characters, this episode undoes it in, like, one scene, and it really bugged me. <laughs> well, but then they immediately lampshade it, right? Because he's just playing the stereotype. He is, but, but Boimler is, is, like, basically extremely racist, or, I guess, speciesist about him. And, <laughs> and it was just like, this doesn't feel like Star Trek to me, although I know there are plenty of examples of Starfleet characters being racist, like O'Brien with the Cardassians, and even... Riker with the Ferengi. Well, and let's and let's face it, something that where Star Trek does fail is that like an alien race is always defined yeah. by one trait, right? All Klingons are warriors, all Romulans are sneaky, all Andorians are cranky, and all Ferengi are conniving. Like that's it is a weak point of the series, and DS9 in particular deals with that by adding more character, but nine times out of ten. Yeah. yeah. You know. You're right. You're right. Uh, and and I, it's probably a problem more with the the franchise than it is with just this one episode. But I have I had to say that that was something that bugged me at at least on that first viewing. I can rationalize it, but still is a little irritating. Yep, that's fair. Before we move on, I mean, again, something like a pattern that they've established, plenty of fun Easter eggs, um, a couple of species mentioned from like species that only existed in the animated series, even, which is great. There's that this that one that trail offline at the end of a scene like where Boimler's going to go get the shuttle back and, and Mariner's making fun of him because of his speed walking. Right. He's not even like speed walking; he's just keeping up. And she's like, "What is? What are you doing?" And the trail off, like for the cut of the scene, he Boimler says, "Like, just like stop bothering me about this. Like, this is conserve energy. Section thirty-one does this." <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some good lines, and, and the animation also works. It, it adds to the jokes. There's a lot of moments where the the animation really sells a joke, and I like it. Oh, for sure, so much of it. Big credits to Titmouse Studios there, same animation studio that does the Venture Brothers, by the mm-hmm. way. If uh, if uh, you happened to listen to our previous episode, <laughs> Geek Top Five, we know where the good stuff is. <laughs> also, just to, to because you said the animated series, I feel like we need to clarify now because you mean Star Trek the animated series from the seventies. That's right. Yeah, not a lot of people have heard of it, but it's there. It's on Netflix, uh, and they they make a lot of references to it. The the, the doctor on the ship, Doctor Tiana, is a Cation. A cat person, basically, who's a species that came from the animated series. And the Andorian shapeshifter thing in this episode is also from a species that was from the animated series. And they, they, they keep doing that. They keep referring to the old animated one, like, almost as if to, to say, like, hey, we want to draw your attention to this one thing in Star Trek you might not have necessarily seen. Yeah, and, and I guess it's also a way to be like, this is our sister series, you know? we This series makes helps legitimize our series. So we're going to help <laughs> re-legitimize it. I, and yeah, which go, that go. might be a stretch. I mean, I, I know you've got a softer spot in your heart for the original animated series than I do. Um, I'm okay passing on it, mostly, frankly. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of it, and what I have watched, I have enjoyed mostly on an ironic level. But you know, there's there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, but I, 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 topic for a future podcast, I think. Sure. I do want to say, since you mentioned Dr. Ta'ana, she has been a standout in the episodes I've seen. She's she's a very funny, grumpy doctor character, and I've enjoyed all the stuff with her. Most of the senior staff has been great. In fact, I think the only one who I feel has been sort of underserved is the uh, the 
uh, uh, security chief. Oh, Shax, yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard to tell with the underserved with the senior characters because they, all the senior staff are very flat characters. They're exactly who they are. Right. Right? Like the like the, the doctor is the grumpy doctor. She's basically, like she's cat bones. You know, the security guy is the big, buff, dumb, angry security guy. Right? Jack, you know, Jack Ransom is the swashbuckling first officer. Right? He's, like you said, he's steroid Riker. Yeah, like they're kind of they're kind of supposed to be one dimensional, so it's hard to say if that's intentional or not. He, he just hasn't had, to my mind anyway, a moment to shine. I think that the closest you get is when uh, Rutherford is is transferred into security. There, he gets a couple of good lines there, but he seems like a character that would have a bit more depth. But maybe a, you know, again, I'm bringing in too much Deep Space Nine into this because uh, he's a Bajoran character, and and you know, Bajorans have been through a lot and have a. Bajoran security chief. Right. And I'm sure if the show was about the senior staff, yes. we'd learn a lot about that. Yeah, but you're that's right. That's not what the show's about. Yes. Okay, should we? So, so for yeah, me, I on. liked this episode more than the first one. Let's go to the third one. Yeah, third episode, Temporal Edict. This is the first episode of the, of the show where I said, okay, I get it. I see what they're doing. I like this a lot. Like, this is the, the first one to me that felt like, like, this was a good episode. This was, I enjoyed my time. I laughed at the jokes. I, I enjoyed the comedy. And I enjoyed the Star Trekness of it. Right, uh, yeah. I, I think I'm I, I have a, I have a big fan of this one. Give us a little summary here. Yeah. So, the so sort of two plots happening at once, but one causes the other. Um, the a, a running thing in Star Trek is the concept of... That you don't tell them how long it'll really take. It's, it's something pioneered by, like, we always suspect of Scotty in the original series, and he confirms it to Jordy in Next Generation. Like, right. No one's going to think you're a miracle worker if you tell them how long it's really going to take. Uh, in this episode, uh, yeah, everybody in the Lower Decks is doing this. They finish a job and take a quick break for margaritas before moving on to the next one. <laughs> I will is, say, of course, the extra flair that Mariner adds to it. Yeah, I will say there, there's a, that, that is done fairly early on in the episode, and... Uh, it felt a little out of character already to me that Boimler joined in so willingly, but as such a regular, he's he's like such a strict rule follower. Even this rule about breaking the rules was a rule he had to follow. So it, it kind of yeah. worked out in the end. The plot of the episode, of course, is the captain finds out about this, and she's just been, um, I mean, not punished, but like she sort of had the, the carpet taken out from under her, and she feels like it's because nobody respects the, the ship. Uh, because let's face it, you know it's not the Enterprise, and so she, and so she institutes a program of like mandatory timing on the tasks that the crew has to perform. Like they have countdown clocks. You have this long to finish this task, and then your next one comes, and starts basically working the crew to death. Um, because they're working so hard on doing all this, they screw up a second contact and essentially accidentally start a war with a race that's just been entered into the Federation. Um, and we get a incredibly the original series-esque, like the away team has been captured by a warlike, you know, primitive alien species and have to fight our way out. Yeah. So the A plot is just the is that the crew is going insane with these crazy schedules, except for Boimler, who's having the time of his life, <laughs> because all he has to do is work on stuff. And the B plot is it's Mariner and Jack Ransom, whose name always has to be pronounced like that. <laughs> basically living out that Kirk away team thing and like we'll cut right to it like the way this problem is solved is Jack has to fight in a gladiatorial arena and rips his shirt off and they actually animate his like his bare chest like glistening (laughs) 
Like they go to effort to show, like, like to, to make it really look like that classic Amok Time style original series fight scene for re- ludicrous reasons. Yeah, and, and I, I feel like the stereotype version of the scene, or, or the what you would expect, is that Ransom is all just full of hot air, and he gets taken out really quickly, and Mariner has to come in and save the day. But that's not what happens, because this is still the senior crew of a Starfleet ship, so they are actually really good at their jobs. There's a reason why he's the first officer of this ship, and he, he it's, it's really fun watching him go and fight and finding Mariner kind of developing a thing for him because he's so competent and, oh, and good at there's fighting. There's no kind of. Like, she like she <laughs> hates she hates his guts, but she hates how much she's turned on <laughs> by watching him. Like, he's he's doing the Kirk Fu, where he's like he's linked his two hands together to form one big fist. And while he's fighting the guy, he's, I respect your sovereignty. And she's there watching in the cell going, so ethical. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah. And the the conversation between the two of them, like, you know, Jack Ransom is, like, like you said, he's super Riker, so he sees it as his duty to step in and do the, you know, the right thing and win this fight to protect his crew. And she thinks that's insane because, like, for starters, she thinks she's better than him and maybe she's not, which is a really great development for her character. But she's also the one pointing out, like, this whole thing is so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And their argument is hilarious. Like the the two actors in this, uh, Tawny Newsom is Mariner and Jerry O'Connell for Jack, for Jack Ransom. <laughs> Just they they the chemistry between them is amazing in this. She's yelling at him like permission to speak freely, and he's you always speak freely. No one can stop you from speaking freely. Like it. Yeah. Like there's, it, what the lines are just bouncing off each other. They it's they, they're great. The, uh, great chemistry. I don't know how else to put it. And this was the first episode where I really enjoyed Boimler and Mariner on their own merits. And it's the first episode where they're not together. They get to do their own thing, and it's not one of them one-upping the other or one of them undermining the other. They each get a chance to shine in their own way. And it's also, like, she is trying... She acts with Ransom the way she does with Boimler, but Ransom doesn't take it like Boimler does so it's a different yeah, dynamic pushed around by this ensign yeah and, and I think it was finally a moment where like to after seeing the episode I was like great let's just keep them apart forever because this this episode was so much better than the previous two I'm like this is where it works like have them confront different things have one be the a plot and the other be the b plot and just keep them apart uh, I, I have to admit I can barely remember what Rutherford and, and Tendi even do in this episode they like they're just struggling with the the schedule. Like we keep cutting back to them. Like Tendi can't like she gets to the she's like she can't even remember what deck sick bay is on because she's working so hard. And Rutherford can't keep up with all the repairs. He spills a thing of acid. Like it's just them going nuts right. under the pressure. Um, the a plot like the the resolution there. It's Boimler and Captain Freeman and the and Shax, the security guy on the bridge. Where like he he's giving her the speech about how no actually she's a great captain but she has to loosen up the rules about the scheduling so they can repel the invaders and Shax is like in the background like holding all the aliens in the door and it's you know like if your speech is supposed to be inspiring like a moment of truth like now's the time to wrap it up <laughs> yeah like that like it's the focus is on them which is interesting it's putting the senior staff in more of a more of a front facing role than you'd sort of expect given the premise of the show. It's true, but they also, I think the other thing that works about the show is that it it is still the senior staff, for the most part, 
being the heroes. They're the face of the victories. And I don't think it would work as well if it was just always our Lower Decks characters solving all the problems. Because they kind of, it undermines the premise. So I, but the, but they do kind of do that, right? Like the pilot yeah. episode, like yeah, the senior staff cure the virus, but it's because Boimler comes back with the cure, and in this one, it's Boimler's speech to the captain that gets them to, to solve the thing, and the senior staff just happen to take credit for it. Right. Well, I mean, in the first episode, like Boimler unknowingly brings the cure back, right? Like it's it's an accident. It, it wouldn't have happened yeah, without okay, him. That's fair. But they do solve the the problem. Uh, is sort of in spite of him. <laughs> but yeah, it's, again, I think this episode was better than the last one, and, and so far, it, like, if I were ranking them, it would, like, one would be at the bottom, two would be the one after that, then three is number three. It's just, like, they keep, to, to my mind, getting better and better as they go on. Hmm. Also, would like to point out that one of the traits, maybe not even Mariner's trait, but maybe just something of her actress that Tawny Newsom does, I, once every couple of episodes, she has these insane babbling rants for Mariner. Like usually when she's drunk or angry, and I love. And this in this one, it's when like she she makes up with Ransom. She's not going to put him on report, and like everything's going to be okay. And then he throws her in the brig because she had her sleeves rolled up and like well, she's out of uniform, and she goes berserk on him. And the the speech there, I, I can't replicate the, the presentation, but I've got the word. She tells him, you're an idiot. Joke's on you, man. I love the brig. I'm going to my favorite place. Next time, I'm going to let them kill you. I'm going to dance in your blood. As they're dragging her out. And like the way she does these insane, rambling, crazy things always leaves me in stitches. <laughs> yeah, the, the way the dialogue is cut together, it's so fast and so choppy. Like you can, there's times where you're like, I, I don't know where anyone's breathing in this, but it's, the, it can be real fast and real funny and like overlapping dialogue. It's, it's really well done. Her in particular, I think. Yeah. Especially because she laces it with Star Trek references. Like, sometimes obscure Star Trek references. But, like, yeah, this one in this episode was great. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, the fourth episode, Moist Vessel. Great title. <laughs> yep. Um, really cool stuff like Star Trek sci-fi plot like to the point where it's like I kind of would have liked to see what this was like on an episode of Next Generation or Voyager yeah they so the the premise of this one is they're working with another ship because they found in like this ancient alien generation ship um, the crew of the ship has died, but they've ca- they're carrying this material. This like it's like a liquid that when you when it gets sprayed or dropped on anything, like on a on just inert matter, it terraforms it immediately. Like so, it can like life from nothing. And very early on, like the way they display this is, we see a, like a re- you know, a no name scanning with her tricorder, and a drop of this hits the tricorder, and it bursts into plants and flowers and stuff. Yeah, like a very cool version of the Genesis device, like a, a modern take on the Genesis device. Yeah, Genesis device juice, <laughs> uh, which is ju- which is a delightful, like cool sci-fi premise. Um, but of course, it has to go through uh, lower decks <laughs> lens. Uh, so the a plot in this one is family dynamics. Um, at the end of the first episode. We see that one of the like one of the motivations for Mariner being such a slacker is that the captain is actually her mom, and there is some unhappy family dynamics there. 
Yeah, I don't um, think and, I don't think Mariner is the sort of kid that her very you know go getter mom would have wanted. Not at all, and it's it seems like Mariner like basically all the, this attitude she has is essentially her rebelling against this Starfleet career against her mother, and that gets like that's the a plot of this one where where the captain basically has had enough and wants her off the ship, but she kind of can't get rid of her. Uh, and so it starts off with, like, like Ransom suggests, well, how about we just give her the worst jobs on the ship, then maybe she'll request a transfer, and you won't even have to fire her. Uh, which gets us to the, the is it the touchy subject of holodeck waste removal? <laughs> uh, well, it's let's just say it's not something that's been discussed on Star Trek before. But always, like, implied. Hmm. Right? Well, especially always- in Quark's. Yeah, but no, there's the, the, that episode with the in Next Generation, the perfect mate, and yeah. Riker walks her to her quarters and turns her down, and he's like, <laughs> well, I'll be in the holodeck. <laughs> I forgot about that. That is a great moment. Uh, yeah. And sitting there in the audience being like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, and, and you know, and people... Like, Barkley was in there for ages. It's probably not just that kind of waste. I'm sure he's had to have other sort of movements while in the holodeck there's there's more yeah, than one kind of waste but it's pretty clear what they mean yeah. right like they like when he's arg- when ransom is arguing with the captain and and, and and tells him we'll give her worse jobs then and then he shouts at her and they censor it like i have her cleaning bleep out of the holodeck bleep filters <laughs> and then everyone's staring at him and the next line is the captain going like oh my god they use the holodeck for that <laughs> and they're like yeah it's mostly that <laughs> Yeah, it was a good bit. Oh, God. Uh, which, by the way, is something like, that's a Michael Mann thing. Uh, like, that comes up in his season eight book and tweets a lot. Right. Is like, yeah, like, we all know what the holodeck is for. You can create anything you want in there. Like, eh, <laughs> awkward. Anyway, they can't get rid of Mariner. Uh, no matter how crappy a job they give her, like, she finds a way to enjoy it. So she realizes, like, well, there must be something on the ship that she hates. So they promote her to lieutenant, and she joins the senior staff, and they barrage her with senior staff BS, where they take so many of the, I don't know what you would call it, like the, like, Next Generation had a thing where they would show the crew, like, in everyday life, and they're always having, like, concerts or in 10 Forward or poetry readings or yeah. things like that. Like it, like, and it, it takes it to like, the next level with this. Yeah. And even in Next Generation, when you think about it, it's like, well, that's not actually how people relax most of the time. I mean, maybe it is in the 24th century. I don't know. But, like, like I, I don't hang out with you guys. And it's like, like let's go see an oboe recital. Well, we're not as classy as the next generation people. I mean, there um, are people who go to oboe recitals. They they happen. Yeah, but it's not an everyday thing, right? This is the only thing. Like, we never see people in next generation, like, just sitting around, like, chatting and hanging out. Like, the closest we get is poker, which, which is they also, lampoon in this. Yeah. Where Mariner is, is ordered to report to executive poker. Yeah, and, and everyone's, like, bad or at least boring about how they play poker. And so she tries to to spice it up by going all in but that's against the rules so she's not allowed to do it it's it's are you out of your mind this is a friendly game (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he's got uh, that's the security chief and he's got glasses on which is a a, you know sort of joke in in 
high stakes poker at this point that people wear glasses so you can't see their tells but it's the same as as data wearing the the visor when he plays poker with the with the crew lots of fun little references that i that i got a kick out of the b plot i thought was a little bit weak this is the one with the ascension um yeah, yeah, it, it gave Tendi a, a, a moment to shine, which I enjoyed. But yeah, c- go through the. Beats uh, so of that one. the uh, something that we have sort of seen in Star Trek before the idea that like a sort of spiritual clarity will elevate you to like becoming a being of pure energy or what have you. Apparently, there's a crew member on the ship who's about to do this, and Tendi wants in. But her, you know, like, childlike and inquisitive nature, she ruins it for him. And she spends the episode trying to make it up to him. Yeah, it feels like a trope we've seen before in other uh, comedy shows where, like, someone's trying to do something and the other person screws it up and they realize the error of their ways and they're trying to help the other person fix it, but they just keep making it worse and worse until at the end they find that the real lesson was all the friends they made along the way that that's sort yeah of that was exactly it. B plot um it's it's you know it's funnier because it's not just about like you know like whatever a normal sitcom would be it's about like you know enhancing one's consciousness to becoming a being of pure energy like it's it's definitely a star trek <laughs> thing but yeah it wasn't terribly interesting and the a plot was so much more funny that it, it took away from it um, one of the better scenes of the episode was the B plot resolving when the guy sort of accidentally does ascend and it's terrible. Yeah, and and completely bizarre, but not in like a, the bizarre you would expect. There is some of that where you know you, he has this vision and and is he gets multiple arms and it's like his third eye opening. But then what he sees just before he ascends is a koala and that all the universe is on the koala's back it was a fun yeah movie. it was it, it was fun to watch and it was funny and then you know intendi's left there just with his smoking boots and it's like okay good luck being everything <laughs> sorry i <laughs> man and that was another moment where like the animation really helped sell the joke because the boots don't just like fall they fall and bounce and twirl around and it it, it helped I don't know, add to the absurdity of the moment, I thought. Yeah, the whole, yeah, it was presented well. But anyway, the, the A-plot continues that, you know, the, that the Captain and Mariner aren't getting along, but then there's a crisis, the, the Genesis juice gets on the ships, and the ships start getting terraformed, and so there's, you know, there's a waterfall in engineering, and everything's chaotic, and the two of them have to sort of try and work together to save the ship and it and it comes out that you know oh, okay that, that mariner actually knows what she's doing but the captain always treats her like a child and from the captain from captain freeman's point of view well it's because you behave like a child and so it's and it's a you know a vicious circle and they end up kind of impressing each other at the end and i thought this was actually really nice i mean because it's an episodic show it doesn't stick right at the end of the episode everything sort of goes back to back to square one but it was fun watching that relationship yeah. bounce off each other. I yeah, I think I I and you know at the end of the episode she does something annoying and and uh, gets demoted again. So everything does reset by the end of the episode. Um, and and I think the way that story resolves as far as a plot goes is very Star Trek tropey, where they sort of just sci-fi techno babble a solution out of it. And it, you know it felt very appropriate for a Star Trek show going for the Star Trek The Next Generation mold. And so I guess on that level, I didn't find the plot terribly memorable, but there's a lot of funny moments leading up to it, especially her with the senior crew. It was really funny. And like, 
you were talking about the oboe recital, but my favorite part in this was she's at the show and the captain has done this like scat jazz performance that everyone appreciates. And then up next is this lieutenant doing a one man show. Really yeah. like that. That just like the joke of of a one man show where the person turns around. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you no, were no, here. Be clear. It, the it line is, good. I didn't see you beam in there. <laughs> It's like, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I get you. Yeah, like it's, it was a classic, like tropey plot and a classic Star Trek plot, but the way that the comedy of it was a lot of fun, and they like, like they definitely techno babble the the solution in a conversation between Mariner and Freeman, and then instead of, like, and then the, and then the captain says, "Computer, hit it." And the computer replies, "Hitting it." Right, and that's also the like that was fun. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really like. Oh yes, okay. okay. Is this no, the one with the? the... Th- this is just a weird. It, maybe it's almost like meta narrative. But the like the crisis in this episode happens when Captain Durango of the other ship, the Merced, moves his ship too close to the generation ship, and the tractor beam like rips off the hull plating, and the musical mm-hmm. key at that is so next generation that like I got goosebumps. <laughs> I I, <laughs> I, I mean. That's the thing. There's so many little nods to, to Next Generation that aren't even jokes. Just like the font choices or the way they have the episode title appear at the beginning. They, they're they very sort of warm blanket, nostalgic, comforting. Yeah. And, and the whole show is like that. But something about this... Like, there's plenty of Star Trek-y music in this show. But that bit... If you're watching this, go back uh, and, and watch this moment. The When I hear that music... I'm 10 years old, sitting on the couch at home watching Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't know what it is about it. It just it blew my mind. Really narrow thing. It's too niche. Shouldn't focus on it. But that really stuck with me. Moving on. Uh, the most recent episode, episode 5, Cupid's Errant Arrow. Which I could swear to God that Cupid's Arrow was used for something for Star Trek before. Uh, well, there's a... There's an episode called Cupid with the Q. It's a yeah, pun but that's on, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's, ah, it's scratching my brain. It has been for days. It hasn't been something <laughs> I've been able to solve. So maybe it's nothing. But yeah, this one it uh, it turns out that uh, Boimler has a girlfriend, and Mariner is understandably suspicious. <laughs> yeah, Boimler has definitely not been shown to be someone who is is popular with anyone, least of all the yeah. opposite sex. And uh, and they do a lot of romantic comedy in this one, which, frankly, like I didn't like. Uh, like I agree with you in the ramping up. Like episodes tended to be getting better, but I, I I think I just don't have it in me to appreciate romantic comedy hijinks. Oh man, this was my favorite episode yet. Really, man, I just like, this. I thought. Like I said, I felt like every episode got better. I mean, episode three and four were probably about on par, but this one, I feel like I was laughing all the way through. I really enjoyed it, especially the resolution of it, which we'll get to, but completely unexpected and great resolution to the episode. That's true. I grant you that. I think mostly it's just the one scene where it's like he thinks that maybe she's cheating on him with the other guy, which, by the way, he describes as like that guy's a Kirk Sunday with Trip Tucker sprinkles. Which is a hilarious line. <laughs> and again, sort of that weird fourth wall breaking kind of thing where like everybody on this ship knows Star- like loves Star Trek the same way we do. But anyway. But it's also kind of like it, it, in real life, it would be like me saying he's like, I don't know, like a Mr. Darcy 
and I don't even know what's a hundred years before that, right? Like he's he's referencing someone from a hundred years ago with the sprinkles of someone from like a hundred years before that. So it's a little weird if you think about it. But, but why? Are yeah, you because about yeah, it? because it's the, it. that's the tone of this cartoon is that they they reference all this Star Trek stuff. Uh, but yeah, mostly the scene just like where he you know he dresses up in the different clothes and stuff. Like it's just like I've seen this scene a hundred times. I felt like they didn't really. Star Trek it up enough, I guess, for it to just not be the same romantic comedy BS. I would say that my favorite part of that, my my favorite like twist on the joke there was like he he has the computer replicate him an outfit that combines the coolest things of the last I don't know three hundred years. So it's just this mishmash hodgepodge of nonsense, and he comes in and he's trying to be all cool, but he he ruins everything. It, it, that's a very typical tropey romantic comedy situation. But at the end of the scene, she says something to the effect like. You came in dressed all cool, and then you ruined it with this. So I normally I feel like the character would also think he looks ridiculous because it's such a weird mix of clothing. Right. The, the fact that she liked the fact it. that she actually found yeah. it cool was was a nice touch. In any case, the so the B plot in this is mostly a B plot. I don't think we're going to spend much time on it. But the like the sci-fi thing they're doing is they're going to they call it imploding a moon. And a moon that's going to crash into a planet, so they're going to implode it, so it'll be safe. But all kinds of like the the aliens on the planet don't want the moon to be imploded, even though it's going to destroy them. Like some of them are saying, because it's a religious thing, so you can't blow it up. And others are saying, like the moon isn't going to fall. That's just government propaganda to control us. And you know, okay, all right, all right, yeah, it's yeah. Star Trek has always touched on issues of the day where people believe crazy yeah, things. And it, <laughs> The resolution of it all—it just continues with that trend. I, I enjoyed that too. I would say this is almost a C plot uh, of the episode. The, the B plot is uh, Rutherford and Tendi using new tricorders. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, they're they're. I mean, that's the other thing in this. Ah, we haven't mentioned it yet. Like, I wasn't sure if this was a niche thing or not, but like they they spend this episode with a cooler ship. Like the Cerritos, their ship the, the, is a you know it's a crappy nothing, but they run into this ship the the the, the USS Vancouver, which is a Parliament class ship, which is great, some Canadian pride right there, and it's <laughs> like it, it it's like a, it's it's like someone took the Miranda or the Soyuz class and sovereign classed it. Like, it's big and bold and beautiful version. <laughs> you are gonna have to translate some of that. Nah. It's it's it, listen, it's it's a big cool ship. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah, it's very sleek. Their ship is not cool, and this ship is super cool. And Tendi and Rutherford are delighted by this. And Mariner has kind of a one-off where she says, guys, it's basically the same ship, the same ship as the Cerritos, and they just laugh at her. Right, and that feels like something that that is a sort of joke on the live-action shows, where a new ship would show up, and they would just reuse sets from from your regular Right, yeah, show. when they have that conversation, they're in the exact same shuttle bay as the Cerritos. <laughs> they just change the color of the, the Starfleet Delta and the name of the ship. <laughs> but Tendi and Rutherford see all the differences. Oh, it's got titanium hull brackets and the, the double <laughs> lattice, like heat you, all the techno babble of the stuff of why the ship is so much cooler. Um, and basically they have these cool tricorders that Tendi and Rutherford want and they end up competing for it. And seeing like you know who can do more diagnostics and chasing each other around and that was fun. Yeah, there's there's also uh, changing the dynamic yet again of the this was the first episode since episode two where we really got a lot of uh, Mariner and Boimler together and it started off with the same stuff as before with them just grating on each other's nerves but then Mariner becomes obsessed with the idea that this woman who's attracted to Boimler 
it's impossible that she would be into him, so she must be some sort of shapeshifter, or there's a parasite involved, or, like, she's she's trying gonna destroy him in some way. And this is where I started to enjoy their friendship, because she was interested in saving him, and, and it really felt like a friendship as opposed to just, like, frenemies, where she wanted to to make sure he was okay and safe and she was driving herself crazy trying to figure out what the the catch of this relationship because was because she's genuinely so I, worried I, about him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah. think it was a good step in the right direction for how those characters how that character dynamic needs to be going forward. Also a wonderful opportunity to do that Star Trek Easter egg thing because all the crazy conspiracy theories she comes up with is a <laughs> reference to an actual like episode or creature. Like she she lists like Android or a transporter duplicate or a Romulan spy or a salt succubus, which is a reference to this original series monster, or a Suliban. And then we find out in the cl- which is Enterprise. Yeah. And when we find out in the climax that the girlfriend thinks the same thing of Meritor. And she's like, at first I thought you were a rogue holodeck character, but then I realized you must have been a Breen infiltrator. It's just like, oh my god! Like, they like, and they list every insane like crew substitution thing that has pretty much ever happened in Star Trek, and every one is a more hilarious reference than the last. And again, playing into that thing, like this is a universe where these characters are like, oh yeah, it could just be a rogue holodeck character. That kind of stuff happens here all the time. I love that that kind of humor. I love the the moment where she's Mariner's at the peak of her craziness, just about, and she says, "Oh, she must be a reploid. They infect people with their barb tails." <gasps> her name is Barb. <laughs> I just <laughs> love the building on the conspiracy theory craziness of it. Yeah, they they do the wall with the red yarn connecting pictures, like that right. you have to do if you're like showing it somebody's into a conspiracy. That was a lot of fun. Like, the romantic comedy stuff I could pass on, but that was great. And at the end of the day, of course, it turns out that Boimler is the one with a parasite, and it's been man- like, and it's been manipulating his girlfriend and probably manipulating Mariner uh, to see Boimler as more than he is. And in the end, the girlfriend breaks up with him, but she and Mariner are friends now, of course, because they're both cool and Boimler isn't. So that's okay. I mean, going along with your... your uh demonstrating some of the the in jokes uh from other star trek series with this mariner has a flashback to uh, a similar situation she had when her previous ship was it seems to be docked at deep space nine oh, it is. and there's really a really like touch. and the music for that transition is part of the ds9 theme it's it's sweet <laughs> and she's she's wearing the classic uniform from Deep Space Nine in First Contact, the the gray shoulders. Uh, it was the nice little touch. I was like, I I love that uniform. I think it's my favorite of the the Star Trek uniforms to date. And so to see it again in a new setting was was uh, very nice for me. Yeah, no, it was it was fun. I mean, any reference to Deep Space Nine, I'm all on board. And uh, just by the way, and that uh, the Keto, the ship she was on, appears to be an Olympic class ship, which is the the ship that that. Captain Beverly Crusher had and all good things in the next gen finale, oh. which is interesting. Like, I wonder if there's sort of re- like we've only ever seen that in the anti-time timeline, so we don't know if it's if it's real. Real deep cuts here, um, not important to the show, but again, it was a cool reference to this obscure Star Trek thing that it was delighted to see. Um, I don't know I, I could pass on the romantic comedy, but the rest of this yeah it was really good, and I really like. I feel like the characters are really coming together. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, definitely uh, my favorite episode to date. I, I liked it, and based on the trend of it, I just I hope it keeps going like that and keeps getting better and better as it goes along. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should we should get your your summary. Like those that's all five episodes, and you know I'm I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve. I'm really enjoying all the time I'm spending with these folks. Um, I'm a, I, to be fair, I'm the kind of person who leans towards comedy, but like I'm I'm enjoying this more than I enjoyed Picard. I spent a lot of Picard going, hmm, okay, all right. But like, I look forward to every new Lower Decks episode. I can't wait for the next one to be out constantly. I'm a big fan of the show. But I know that you're more, uh, more level-headed than I am about that sort of thing. <laughs> you're harder to impress. Tell us what you think. <laughs> I feel like... like comedy is very subjective and I do think that you and I have a slightly different taste when it comes to to comedy and there's nothing wrong with that so it hasn't it isn't hasn't endeared itself to me quite as much as it has to you but like I said every episode has gotten better I I find myself laughing at it more and I I have enjoyed it um I watched every episode twice for the benefit of this show but the last one was the first one of the the set so far where I actually wanted to watch it again and that's especially surprising since that one came out yesterday as we're recording so it's a pretty quick succession to watch a show twice but i i enjoyed doing it i'd, I'd watch it again i really liked it I, frankly more positive than i thought i mean i think we can call this that we mostly agree on this one yeah makes yeah, for less interesting uh, podcasting but hey <laughs> uh cons- you know consider this free advertising star trek lower decks yeah, rough start, but but what Star Trek series has really nailed it in its first few episodes? Yeah, no, I, I can't no Star Trek one. series has ever had a good season one. Um, except for this one, maybe, because so far, so good. In any case, that was our take at it, but maybe there's some stuff we missed. Maybe there's some Easter eggs we missed, although I doubt it. We're pretty good at that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but hey, we'd love to hear what you found and what you think. Um, it's always a great place to... I mean, listen, it's Geek Top 5. Uh, we've been pretty obvious lately. As far as communities go, Star Trek is a pretty big one around here. Um, got something to say? Please let us know. Uh, all kinds of different ways you can get a hold of us. We're available on email at geektop5 at gmail.com we're on facebook facebook.com slash geektop5 and we are on twitter at geektop5 always looking forward to hearing from you but even if you're not reaching out to us just want to say thanks um thank you so much for listening to the show it's a blast to be able to do this for you guys um while we're giving out thanks also want to add extra special thanks to jamie reum our musician in chief uh, reum is r-e-a-u-m-e he's a music geek check him out jamie reum official um, on youtube and jamie underscore reum on instagram and be sure to check out his online pub night trivia project at triviashmivia.com hopefully enough to keep you busy uh for until we get a chance to talk to you again uh, until then i'm jesse i'm graham and this has been geek top five we'll talk to you again next week <laughs>